invite you to have a seat this morning. Well, we're continuing on with a sermon series today. We're in the summer still, and uh, we've been taking the time to dig into our scriptures and looking uh, at, at the Bibles. If you need a Bible this morning, we're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 5. There are Bibles on the back tables. If you want to whip out your phone, your iPad, you got Bible apps or something like that, feel free to do that. We're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 5. And we are going to be traveling with a couple this morning, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira. Uh, we are going to be looking at this couple and how this couple chooses to live and some of their decisions that they make. And the reality is we're looking at this couple particularly because we are acknowledging that, that this sermon series, we're trying to acknowledge that it is often better to connect with people who are uh, openly broken, people who have struggles, people who have challenges, people who make mistakes, people who make poor choices, uh, because we so often realize that in our own lives we, we exhibit those same characteristics. We feel and experience brokenness. We fall short. We also make mistakes. So we're taking the time to look at uh, people from the Bible, and specifically we're trying to invest in and look at what we can learn from our sisters in Scripture, our sisters in Scripture, and looking at what we can learn from their brokenness. We're going to be reading today out of Acts chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, read along. If not, close your eyes and listen. Here we go. Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Now with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias... Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you've contrived in your heart this deed? You did not lie to us, but you lied to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all those who heard it. The young men came and they wrapped up his body. They carried him out and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. She said, Yes, that was the price. Peter said to her, How is it that you have also agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to test? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead. So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. So what we have here in this story, in this, in this particular story, what we have is this, these two characters of Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira. 
And, and they have chosen to sell a piece of property. And it seems to suggest that this is something that the, the early church did on a regular basis, that, that, that this was part of the way they took care of the greater community, was by, uh, if you had extra wealth, you would sell it, and then you would bring it to the apostles' feet, and, and you would say, look, I, I, I sold this, I did this, and now I give it to you for the rest for the distribution among those who are needy among the community. And so that's what they've done. They've made this a public act. They've made this a public affair. But it seems to suggest in the text that they went and knowingly told Peter, Peter, we're going to sell this piece of property and we're going to give the proceeds to, to you to distribute to those within our church community, those who are needy. Well, so they sell the piece of property and then they start noticing that really nice new car over there that their coworker has. They start thinking about their nest egg. And how they've really been working on remodeling the bathroom for a while. And they think, eh, let's just, you know, we didn't actually, you know, if we, if we just parse that out and we, we, can, we can just tell Peter and the church, we're just going to tell the community uh, that we only sold it for this much, so we'll just give that much, right? And so that's what they do. They go, to, they go to Peter and they tell him, this is how much we sold it for. And boom, just like that, fall over dead. Kind of, kind of freaky, kind of scary. I get asked about this scripture a lot because it's kind of like, what is going on? Uh, and there's a lot to be said about this scripture. There are a couple things, though, I want to point out to you, I think, that uh, the scripture makes very clear to us this morning, this particular story. First off, here is something that you, you, you know, but you don't often hear said. Uh, your financial decisions, the way you choose to use your money, the way you choose to use your wealth, the way that you manage it, impacts other people. The way you use your resources impacts other people. You know, when I was, I was dating my wife, uh, when we were dating before we got married, I, I kind of I had my little bank account. And I could use my money how I wanted, right? At least that's, you know, I try to do smart things and use it wisely. But then I, I married, and all of a sudden I realized that whatever decisions I made impacted not only myself but also my wife. You know, and, and if you have kids, the decisions that you make as a, as a, as a mom, as a dad, uh, impact not only uh, yourself and, and, and the rest of you, it impacts your kids, right? And even if you're a kid, you impact the way your mom and your dad spend money. You impact the way your mom and dad take care of you and spend money. And that's because financial decisions, your financial decisions, have ripple effects into other people's lives. This includes not only your local family, what we call sometimes like a nuclear family, but that's becoming less and less common. We have, we're realizing now in our current world that our relationships are, are much more of a network, and your financial decisions are rippling out beyond your own family into the rest of your community, into your town, into your city. And specifically, you'll experience that if you're a part of Christ Church, if you choose to make this uh, community of faith for you, you'll experience that here, that your financial decisions, how you choose to manage your money, impacts not only you, but it impacts the community. Whether it be good financial decisions and sound financial decisions or not so good financial decisions, right? The community of faith, this is something you should know, it serves to meet uh, the needs of those within the community. So if you are struggling financially, if you're having issues and problems financially, your brothers and sisters in the faith 
we gather around you in that time. And, and conversely, as we as a community of faith not only take care of one another, we look outside of the church body to see how we can be living in a way that blesses and honors others outside of our community of faith. And that's because we recognize then that our financial decisions impact the rest of our relationships that we have. If, uh, how many of you, not too long, I was just, just, last, uh, just last week, I was out with a bunch of you guys, some of you guys were out there with me, and we were sitting down, we were sitting, and we were having a beer, and we were celebrating someone's success in a financial way that they had a new career. And it was great to be able to celebrate that and acknowledge that. Why? Because we as a community of faith care for one another. One of the ways we care for one another is by acknowledging how we are tied to one another fiscally. This is an important thing. If you are struggling in your relationships, often money can be one of the reasons why. Money has a, has a way of doing that. You ever, have you seen families torn apart over money? Marriages, right? Uh, if you're struggling in your marriage right now, if there, if there is a problem within your marriage right now, take a moment and look at your budget and how you use your money and do it together. And have a moment of vulnerability and honesty and look at how are you managing your money because what happens often is one person is managing money one way, another person is managing money the other way, and you point fingers at each other because you get really angry at how you are choosing to manage your fiscal responsibility. Why? Well, because the other person's decisions impacts you, and you don't like the decisions that they're making, so it becomes a problem within your marriage. If you are struggling right now with your finances, if this is something you can feel in your marriage and feel in yourself, if you are struggling related to your finances... Please consider this. In fall, coming up on September 20th, there's a class that we teach here at Christ Church. It's called Financial Peace University. Any graduates? Any graduates? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, hold but Yes! You know, talk to the people. If they raise their hands, ask them about it if you're interested. Because I guarantee you, you're going to hear good things. It was one of the best things me and my wife did to get on the same page financially. Because we realize finances, when it comes to finances, when it comes to more specifically generosity within your finances. It's a group project. Generosity is a group project. Now, when I was little, I hated group projects. You got to picture me in like fifth grade. I had a comb over and I had Harry Potter round circle glasses. No joke, seriously. And I had the band when I like tried to play basketball or whatever. I had the band that went across the back and I had the glasses and I was, you know, I was cute, whatever. You're thinking nerdy, but I was cute. So, but, but well, the big thing that I remember is that I hated, when I was young, I really disliked group projects. And the reason that I disliked group projects is because I was that guy that I got really hammered into me, the value of a good work ethic, and I needed to put more with my best, and I want to do my absolute best. And sometimes if I'm really honest with myself, I have the twinge of perfectionism in me. Any of you have a little twinge of perfectionism in you? Yeah? Okay. So whenever there was the group project, boy, we were going to have an A-plus group project, right? And so this one time I'm doing this project, and it's on a submarine. We're doing submarine research, right? And we've got to do this group project on a submarine. And I hated group projects because up until that point, I was always the one who was up late with the scissors and the glue and the, 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 the sparkles and the printer wasn't working, but I was that guy who was there early in the morning or late at night trying to get the project together so it was the best project I could do. And I used to get really mad because, like, you know, Susie over there wasn't with me and Johnny over there, they weren't pulling their weight, right? And so you start to get really discouraged by the way others are contributing. Why? Because, well, it's a group project. And so when others within the group don't pull their own weight, it's really frustrating. 
But I can also remember during this one particular project with the submarine project, I had soccer practice, and, and Mom and Dad were running around, and I was just super busy. And you know that feeling, right? And I knew it. It was the first time in my life I knew I was not going to contribute the way I normally would to a group project. And that was challenging for me to realize that I was now all of a sudden on the flip side. And it made me realize how dependent others are on me and how sometimes I am dependent on others and the willingness of others to contribute. It's the same way when it comes to our finances. It's the same way when it comes to being generous as a church body. Your decisions has a ripple effect in the larger group project of Christ church. Building the kingdom of God, this is a group project where we all contribute financially. We all contribute in our energy, in our prayers, in our worship, in our witness, in all aspects of our life. Kingdom of God is a group project, and, and generosity is a part of that. So, second important thing you need to know, um, bringing it back to, to Acts in the story of Acts, a little bit more refined. The book of Acts, the author has a really specific uh, narrative underlying themes, right? Every book in the Bible, the author, the Spirit uses the author in a way that it really speaks to some specific stuff it wants us to know. The author of the book of Luke and Acts, he's the same guy, Luke and Acts, really wants the Christian church to know the importance of those in need. That there are needy people in our world. You know this. Not too long ago, I went down to, uh, to uh, Milwaukee, down, downtown, Marquette campus. Hey, how many of you have ever been on the Marquette campus? Okay, like, okay so, like, so you've all been there, okay? So many, many of you have been there. When you're there, look around. I almost guarantee you that you will see or experience poverty. You'll experience homelessness. That's why we partner with Redeemer Lutheran Church downtown, on the Marquette campus, because homelessness is a problem in that area. And we as a Christian body, because of the book of Acts and the book of Luke, and because of what Jesus teaches us through those books, we, we give attention to those in need, those who have needs. Christ recognizes those people. He sees those people. And so we, as Christ's followers, choose to give attention to the needs of of others. This is why we just raised money for New Beginnings, the kids, right? We were just in the family week. Um, we were teaching our young people, our kids, that their financial decisions impact others. And so we acknowledged, we, t- we showed the kids that there are other children who don't have toys. And when these kids in, in this particular area of Milwaukee don't have toys, the other options often lead to a bad cycle, right? They don't have toys. They don't have a safe place to go. So they go outside of some... They they get caught up in situations and circumstances that become slippery slope, and all of a sudden, the cycle is just keeping... to keep them in a cycle of poverty and pain and neediness. And so we as a church body recognize that neediness, and we begin teaching our children, hey, there are other needy children out there who don't have toys, who don't have a safe place to go. Let's use generosity to impact them. Because that's part of what it means to be a Christian. We can see it in the, in the books of Luke and in the books of Acts. It, it can be kind of boiled down like this. 
Jesus cares about people who need help. So it makes sense that the followers of Jesus care about people who need help. If, you, if you're not a Christian, you don't need to worry about this. This, this message is going to be kind of funny for you. Uh, we're going to get a little, we're just about to dive into more of the generosity portion. Um, if you're not a Christian, uh, there's still worth in this. You've experienced this. If you've ever helped someone, if you've given finances away, you did the ring and the bell at the uh, Salvation Army when the Christmas thing happens, right? And you give something, you, you, you feel good. You experience, some, you experience the joy of generosity. So there is worth in this as well, even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, though, we are specifically called to sacrifice the way Jesus sacrificed for us. We are called to sacrifice the way Jesus sacrificed for us for those in need. That's within our church context, our own community. There are people within our church body who have financial needs. There are people within the greater church, excuse me, within the greater community. So not only our faith community, but, you know, Grafton and Port Washington and Cedarburg and Mequon and, and Glendale, and then all the way out to Milwaukee. That there are people in need, and we choose as a church body to be what, to, to follow what Jesus to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to be sacrificially generous accordingly. All right. One more time. Um, I want to dive a little closer into the story. Let's zoom in on the story. So what happens when the story is Ananias and Sapphira sell the land? They come to Peter, and it seems to be in the text that, that they give the impression they're going to give. Whatever they sell, they're going to give it. There's another example of this just like a, t- a chapter earlier, two chapters earlier, I believe it's in chapter 3, where a guy does this. He sells the land, he brings the proceeds, and he gives it to the apostles, and then they distribute it to the people who are most needy in their community. Okay? So, so this has happened before. Um, and, and so when they come and they give the resources to Peter, they're lying because they're holding some back, Right? They're saying, hey, we sold it for $100,000. We sold Uncle Al's farm that he left us when he died for $100,000. We're going to give it all to the church. And then you see on the actual income statement that it was a $200,000 piece of land, right? That's what's taking place. So they have brought deception and lies into the community. This is a dangerous thing. Let's be honest with you. Deception around generosity is one of the number one ways you will break down relationships. It's one of the number one ways. It's a sensitive topic. Money. It's sensitive. We don't like to talk about it, right? I mean, we're not supposed to talk about money in politics in church, right? <laughs> but, but, but when you actually look in the Bible, it talks about money all the time. It's not afraid to talk about money. It's a sensitive topic, so we want to handle it in a way that's, that's honest and authentic, that's real. We don't want to lie and get caught up in lies. If, if, uh, again, if you're in a situation with your marriage and you lie about how you're handling money, what does that do to your marriage? Oh, my gosh. If you're in a relationship with someone and you lie, if, say, you know, if a, a parent or a friend or something and money is involved and someone lies about how money is being used, 
It's one of the number one ways you can rip apart a relationship. It is always better to be honest and authentic when it comes to issues of money. It's always better to be honest and authentic when it comes to issues of money. When you think about our church body, when you think about us gathered in this room, that we are committed to making a difference in this world for Jesus Christ, that we want to impact people, that we want to let others know what Jesus has done in our lives, and we want to help those who are needy, and we want to to be a generous people. It's good for us to be honest and true and authentic with one another, especially when it comes to issues of money. If you're in a small group, if you've got a prayer group, if, you, you know, if you've got a situation where you're gathered with other believers, you wouldn't lie in that situation. So don't lie about money. It breaks down the community. That's what Ananias and Sapphira are actually doing. When it becomes evident that Ananias and Sapphira lied about their generosity, it calls into question with every other Christian can I trust this person? Can I believe this person? I thought this person had my back. But now we have deception. We have this lie in our community. That's what's really taking place there, is Peter is trying to address and get at that root. Now it's hard to trust one another in this young Christian community. And even more than that, if, somebody, if, if, if Joe, the Roman Joe down the street, some guy down the street... Who's, new, who's looking at this Christian community and hears that they're lying about how they use money and they can't trust one another? Why would you sign up for that? Why would you be a part of that? This is the cases with a lot of churches, though, in today's world, right? Yeah, how, many, how many of you have ever bumped into a church who, who, are not, um, who, who don't have a good reputation on how, you, how they use money? That are really tight-fisted, that are not generous, that are, that are right, are so worried about survival that they forget we have a generous God who's always going to provide for His people, who will take care of His people, and that the way He takes care of His people more often than not is through other believers. That that's how it happens. We take care of one another, and we take care of the world, and that's the Spirit moving through us to impact others because our financial decisions have ripple effects. And yet, other churches they lock down and they say, nope. We are, we're going to take a stand, and they just watch the money train, boop, and they close the doors. I believe one of the reasons Christ Church is thriving is because we are embracing and understanding rightly the value of generosity, which builds up our relationship with one another, builds up our image within our community. It's a win-win-win, and especially for those in need. All right. Ooh, I could go on that for a long time. Sorry. Everyone take a deep breath. This is a heavy sermon, not going to lie, because we're talking about money. It's okay. You can take a deep breath. I was thinking about this. I was trying to figure out a way that I could, like, write a joke into this sermon to try to, like, ease up the tension in the room. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything, so sorry. But here's what I want to talk about next. I want to talk about the why and the how of generosity. You know, why, why are we generous people? Why do we choose to be generous? And then how, how are you generous? How do you... What does generosity actually mean? And we use that word a lot. So the why and the how. Here's the deal with the why. We are generous because we believe, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you don't need to worry about this. But if you are a Christian, we believe that, that, that God cares about people. 
that Jesus cares about people, that he cares about me, that Jesus cares about you, that Jesus loves you, Jesus walks with you, Jesus forgives you, Jesus watches over you, Jesus wants what's best for you and for your life. And that he's going to use you to impact others again in a positive, good, right way. We believe Jesus cares about others. And and he himself is the perfect example of generosity because he pours himself out. He gives. He gives all the way up to giving what? Well, he gives his life on a cross so that we might live. Jesus himself is generous, and we believe in this generous Jesus. And so because we believe in this generous Jesus, we also behave in a way that reflects his same characteristics. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have that same spirit of generosity. I want to impact people. I want to be there with those needy people. I want to be there in the midst of pain and suffering to walk with people and strengthen people. That's why I love praying with you. That's why I like showing up to the hospital and being there in the deathbed and I get to pray and it's like, Wow, what a privilege and honor it is to be in the midst of that. And when someone's struggling with, with, a, with a marriage or with kids or with a job or whatever, we walk with one another. We're there for one another. We're a community of faith together. Because we behave in a way that reflects Jesus Christ himself. Why are we a generous people? Because we believe in a generous God and we behave in a way that reflects his generosity. How? How are we generous? All right, there's three, three different people I want to talk to. So I want to talk first off even your non-Christians. If you're a non-Christian in, in, here to this morning, or listening along, online, uh, just start giving money away. I don't care how much. I don't care where you give it to. Just start giving it away. Start giving money away. Start being generous with your resources. Yes, it is good to give time. Yes, it is good to give energy. But, but giving financially allows the, the person on the receiving end much more uh, flexibility. Money, it, right? Time equals money or whatever, right? Time, money is kind of is, is, is the efforts that you put into your work and your job, the time and energy you put into your work and job transferred into money. And so give money away. Give time, energy, and money away to something you believe in, something that's important to you. Start practicing and behaving generously. I guarantee you, I, I guarantee you, you will see a positive change in your life. You will see a positive change in your life if you start behaving generously. All right, if you're a new Christian, if you're new to this whole thing, if you're new as a Christian, and you're like, whoa, I didn't know this was part of the deal. Guess what? It's part of the deal. It's part of what it means to be a Christian is to respond in a generous way to our God and to this world. And so the way that we, we, we have in that, the way that we use, is the 10%. We, we as a Christian body, and this is like a big Christian body, this is not just Christ Church, but we at Christ Church take this seriously. Start giving 10% of your uh, wealth and income away. 10%. Why 10%? Because it's enough that it will demand sacrifice from you. It's enough, 10% is enough that it should impact your lifestyle, what you're able to do. Generosity, the giving away, is a a Christian generosity naturally built in to Christian generosity is sacrifice. So you should be giving in a way that is demanding sacrifice from you. It should be impacting the way that you live. 
10% is a great benchmark for impacting the way that you live. So start giving 10% away. If you're, if you're a guest with us this morning and you're new to Christ Church and you're like, I'm not sure I want to commit to this church family, totally get it. Don't Hold off. We want to make sure you're committed to this community of faith. If you're from a different church, don't give money this morning. Don't give money here. <laughs> give it to your community of faith. Give money to the community that you are dedicated to so that that community can make a difference in the world. That's for a new Christian. All right, mature Christians. How do I know if I'm a mature Christian? Well, you're not a new Christian. That's how you know. Okay, there's no hard, fast answer there. You don't get a badge or something, right? If, you're an, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for a long time, the challenge to you is to truly think through and be as impactful as you can with your generosity. Use the 10% as a benchmark. Challenge yourself to go more. See how you can grow. See where you can grow. Look at your lifestyle. Look at where sacrifice might be possible and what God might call into you. Be smart on how you do it. Plan for it, as well as being spontaneous. I want to, because this is a community, because I trust you, I'm going to be vulnerable with you and build up this community by sharing with you how we do it. This is just me and my wife. You can, again, you need to pray and discern yourselves. Me and my wife, this is how we choose to be generous. This is what generosity looks like for us. We give 10% away to Christ's church. We choose to give it to a church, and we choose to give it here to this community of faith. We give 10% of our immediate, whatever comes in, comes right back into this community of faith so this community of faith can make a difference in the world. And not only a difference, but a difference for Jesus Christ. We don't give it to a hospital, not that that's bad. We don't give it to a charity, not that that's bad. We give it here because we know that there is accountability here and that the name of Jesus Christ will be on the lips and the impact of this place and what it does with resources. So we turn 10% right away back in. In addition to that, we give 2% outside beyond that to uh, other Christian organizations that we commit to and are important to us. We give 1%. This is all built into our budget. We do 1% to our uh, spontaneous giving. This is for when you are walking by Salvation Army. We don't have any problem throwing money in the pot. Why? Because we have built in a 1% spontaneous giving that we're able to pull money out of our wallet. You bump into someone in need. Hey, we really need this. Great. Here you go. We're able to do that. Uh, In addition to that, uh, the other big thing that we do is we set aside um, 5% uh, of our income for decided uh, when we got married that every seven years we're going to practice what we call a, a year of plenty. It's an Old Testament principle. And so we commit to setting aside an additional 5% of our income into stock markets, and we just want it to grow, baby, grow, grow, baby, grow. And whatever's in there at the end of seven years, we're giving it away. We're going to give it to church. We're going to give it to a camp. Both of us are camp people. So we're going to give it away at the end, uh, although it's seven years. Last thing, and last thing for you to consider, I give this to you as examples so that you can learn and ask yourselves. Uh, The last thing is we're in the process of deciding how to integrate generosity into our legacy and into our wills. Uh, That's another big place. This church building, I don't know if you know this, but this church building is largely in part in due. The reason it's here is because someone planned ahead with a legacy gift in a way that allowed us to be here and to impact your life with Jesus Christ and others as well because they planned ahead and they thought ahead. So our time's already run up. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to practice generosity. Uh, as I conclude praying. So, uh, would you please pray with me this morning? Holy and eternal God, we come before you knowing that you are God, that you are a king, that you are the one who has sacrificed for us. You have chosen to give your son, Jesus. You have chosen to give your life that we might have life.
We thank you for being generous with us. We thank you for being generous uh, not only in, in spiritual matters, but in fiscal matters for providing for our daily bread. As a pastor and representative before you of this community of faith, I give you thanks for the generosity that you have shown this community of faith in providing for us as a collective people. Lord, it is our prayer as your children, as a community of faith, that we would exhibit your generosity to one another and to those outside this building. That in all things, your kingdom would go forward. People might find healing and hope. And Jesus, your name would be on the lips of people everywhere. Grow us, move us, deepen our generosity that we might be a generous people. We ask and pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.